0: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, good afternoon. My name's Jamie. I'm not your speaker today, but I have the honour of introducing uh, our speaker. Uh, We have Jason and Michelle uh, Scott from Dungannon Vineyard. They pastor a church which is bringing life, not only to their own town, but to the towns round about them. So, Jason, why don't we welcome him as he comes up to speak. Brilliant. We're doing okay? So, I've got a question. How how many in the room have gone through, like, from this morning right through at 7? Wow! Well done. Absolutely brilliant. So, I'm not going to do any big introduction on what we do or who we are. You're here to do spiritual warfare, right? Cool. Cool. So, we'll do that. If I can find it. It, um,. It is live. Or we might have to talk about something else. I don't seem to have it. <laughs> Kids, you know. Uh, just talk among yourselves. Seriously. That's enough talking, thanks. Oh, no. I, can't, I can't blame it on spiritual warfare. Everything's going wrong, okay? That's what I would usually do uh, from my background. I come from a Pentecostal background and um, everything is spiritual warfare. If you couldn't find your kid's shoes going to church, if you spilt the water or couldn't find your talk. I'm just disorganized, that's why I couldn't find my talk and clumsy and spilt the water. So, okay, brilliant. let's just jump straight in. As you know, how many of you moviegoers or just love a great movie? Any Marvel fans? Leonardo narrative, the story, always a good guy, bad guy. It's right throughout poetry, music, stories, and more so movies nowadays. It sells, but uh, you know, and I know that uh, they haven't discovered conflict all by themselves. It's uh, it's not, of course, they're gay. It's a, there's always been a fight. And let me just start off by reading you some some descriptions of the fight. John the Apostle. When exiled to an island for being an absolute pain in the backside to the government at that time. The spiritual curtain of the universe was pulled back for a moment, and he sees a vision. And this is what happens in the vision in John twelve seven to 9. It says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient sep- serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. One picture of this warfare. Where we get this conflict from. So not just the movies. Not just the poets. Not just the, the creatives. And then in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah, said. He gets a message from God. Regarding a specific king. And suddenly the message shifts from the earthy king. To something bigger. Something wider. Than just human. And an earthly king. And he writes this. How you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zion. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will, I will, I will. He says that a lot. And so we have the story of this dark force wanting to be God and the conflict was on. And then we know Jesus comes, he enters this world as a Jewish baby to confront this enemy. And he enters into this territory of, of enemy lines. Jesus doesn't come to bring a nice religious system, you know that, don't we? Christianity is not a religious system, it's a way of life. It's a whole way of life, dealing it with a whole new people, the community of faith. And so he brings this D-Day invasion. To a world in bondage uh, and the world doesn't even realize it and then we enter the script the new humanity this is our job this is our vocation there is a war going on but, the, but i want to just right from the get-go say that this is not a war of dualism sometimes our theology is more wrapped around marvel than it is the ancient scriptures right and there's these two powers opposing each other that is not the story of the book it's not the story of the Bible. There's not two equal powers dueling it out. There is one God who has conquered all things. His kingdom has come. His reign is here. He's conquered all things. And therefore, it's not fear-driven or fear-based warfare that we engage with. But we do know that it's a war. And we know that it's going on and on and on until Jesus returns and consummates his kingdom. And so we are an army. Our job and task is 1 John 3, it says, the Son of Man came to what? To destroy the works of the, the evil one. The devil, the enemy, yeah. And then 16:18, one of my favorite texts. Jesus says, he will build his church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against him. Again, growing up, I came from this sort of fear-based thing on spiritual warfare. Where, you know, when we thought and read texts that got there, it was just, hold on, Jesus comes back. Right? The enemy's attacking yeah, and, and all of a sudden, I soon realized, um, and it's pretty simple, let me ask you a question, uh, anybody in the room, or everybody in the room. When's the last time you were chased by a gate? <laughs> Regular occurrence, I'm sure, in your culture, you're just sort of walking up the street, up, up pops a gate and starts chasing you down the road. It's hilarious, right? It's just absurd, but yet so many of us live our lives with that thinking, that theology, that standpoint that, you know, we're just hanging on and and that all hell is coming. But as I read ancient scriptures, it says this, that the gates of hell cannot stop this unstoppable force called the local church. Is that how you read it? So our job is actually to go behind enemy lines to rescue the battered and broken. What do gates do? They just stay shut, Right? To protect and keep people out and the Bible says the gates can't stand so we go in and rescue the battered and the broken that's what our job is so this is us and here's our talk how do we get on with it what's the job a task what's the mission for us as Christians citizens of this great kingdom I must say that's it's, um, it's quite ridiculous I'm doing this talk in, in one way um, I got to do a, this talk, similar talk. I have uh, chased it. I did it at uh, Winchester Vineyard in September. I know you don't believe anything I said at that time, so this talk's rewritten, and everything here is truth today for you. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, anyway, I have three opinionated uh, adult boys now. It used to be, all of a sudden, they were babies. Now they're they're men with opinions, and so uh, I would say. That in, in, Converse with them all the time when they're back from uni. What I was doing, I said, I was a, "I'm doing a seminar. What on spiritual warfare?" And they're saying, "You are doing a, a talk on spiritual warfare. Why you?" And, and it's simply because they know I hate the extremes of it, and sometimes I do try to avoid it because of all the hype that goes around it, all the extreme and extremity that goes around it, and it, a lot of it is fear based. It just bridle[s] the church and, and stops us from doing anything. And so I want to have a different conversation today—one that's hopeful, one that's filled with kingdom conversation and potential, one that's biblical, I think, and one that will not uh, keep us back but actually push us forward into doing all that God has commanded us to do. You up for that? Let's pray, will we? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just? get our hearts again. God, give us a passion. God, I pray that the kingdom of God would be compelling today. God, would you grab our hearts. God, I pray that all fear would leave the room, that you, Jesus, would bring in your love, that casts out that thing that just keeps us paralyzed from doing all that you've called us to do. And we thank you that we get to be part of this beautiful kingdom, That is just all-encompassing, all inviting. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we don't want to avoid it, and I don't want to avoid having conversations about it, because it is real, there is a war going on, and I'm sure you've picked up in the last couple of days, there's quite a bit of conversation around spiritual warfare, there's quite a a bit of conversation around identity, but again, it's not fear-based. The the potential is huge for the church, and, and so one of the things that I want to talk about right now is just the extreme of that and try and get over that. Sometimes we, get, we end up in the extreme side of, of spiritual warfare and that causes us to avoid it. We want to shut down. The language we use is sometimes very military. And you know, that language is not really scriptural. That language came out after the Second World War and theologians and church people started to adopt the language of the culture. Did you know that? If you read ancient scripture at all, if you read Jesus' in-depth teaching on spiritual warfare, you'll probably find it around John chapter 8. talks about the father of lies and we'll we'll go there in in a bit. But some of our language isn't isn't helpful and and, uh, we end up chasing shadows and crying wolf. Um, Everything is dark, everything is dangerous. What happens is that breeds fear and unbelief and it paralyzes the church from doing anything. And, And not only that, it actually just takes our attention and focus away from kingdom business, kingdom work kingdom possibility that God has called us to do Um, every army in the world every military strategy I'm not a historian but I would conclude that they do their homework on their enemy right and you've it's all over the news any soccer fans any Leeds United fans Leeds were all over the newspaper like two or three weeks ago their manager was all over the newspaper why do you know why he was spying on the opposition Right? Spying on. And the newspapers are thinking, this is a big deal, and I'm thinking, it's a big deal? That's a smart guy. He's getting paid lots of money. you think that every team would be doing that on a week-in, week-out basis. But we're the, only, we're the only community that doesn't focus our attention on the enemy. We're in a, in a war, yeah, but this war doesn't focus on the enemy at all. If you read scripture at all, there's no focus on the enemy. Whereas in every other engagement of of earthly warfare, of hard warfare you spend all your time strategizing and looking at your enemy. So our strategy is quite simple, I feel like a one trick pony, so if you want your money back, I don't know, there's probably an email on the bottom of that wee book that you have, just write, refund, reference, Jimmy Waters. What I'm trying to say is I'm a one-trick pony. I point everybody to Jesus. He's the solution. So our strategy, first and foremost, is focus on Jesus. Totally captured by Jesus. Captivated by Jesus. Total attention on Jesus. Study Jesus. Get around Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Don't spend your time thinking about the enemy. Don't even go there. I know it sells books and it may be rubbish movies, uh, movies that Christians do from time to time. But that's about as far as it goes. Our attention and focus is solely on Jesus and his kingdom and the mission that he's called to. Does that make sense? So we're the only army that doesn't focus on the enemy. And I mean, it's a subtle shift, but I would say it's, it's, it's a very, very important shift to make. Very important shift to make. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, my Pentecostal roots, we would have prayer meetings twice a week, six o'clock in the morning. They were just nuts. But sometimes I miss nuts, because we could do with nuts every now and then, couldn't we? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, how, how, you know, a, a little extremity in Christianity is okay. It's, it's actually good to be extreme about the kingdom and, and extreme about other things, actually. So I we'll go to these prayer meetings, and uh, there was a Welshman there, and I always I uh, reference him as the only Welsh man I've ever known that can't sing. He, he was part of the worship group. I think he got into the worship band because he was Welsh, but he couldn't sing. And so, um, so he, would, uh, he would spend, when he got up to pray, he would pray like for 20 or 30 minutes, right? And he would spend, this is how his prayer would begin, I tell you Satan. And that would be it. He would just spend half an hour, 20 minutes talking to Satan for the rest of the day. Uh, isn't that crazy? But uh, that's the enemy's tactics is to get your focus off Jesus and onto the enemy. And it's funny and as hilarious it is, it's, it's kind of sad. And so that's part of the extreme. We end up doing wacky things, on biblical things. At best they're a waste of time, at worst they're dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Want to hear another funny story? Okay. I had to talk about extremes. Anybody ever go after devils? No witches? No? I don't know if I want to admit it now. Anybody ever go after, like you heard was a witch's covent and you, you went to this high ground No. Am I the only idiot in the room? Just uh, everybody bow their heads, close their eyes, and I'll exit the room. OK, so I'll tell you what happened. So we thought, this is, this is a great way. And we said, we were going to drive the devil out of Korean. In that as I think about it now, Causeway Coast came after that and grew. So, hey! <laughs> so i sort of partial, partially involved in planting Causeway Coast and help Alan write books and trouble. <laughs> so there was, this, there was this forest, right, and, uh, and there's witches used to be there in and So they said. So me and my three friends, we went with a red New Testament Bible to cast the devil out of Korean. But the problem was the path was only, had the width for two people. And there were three of us, scared. <laughs> uh, and, and so we would walk around this path and every time somebody got last they would start speaking in tongues and roaring in tongues. And so one night we came upon a couple who were curtain. Do you use that language over here? Do you know what curtain is? It's not something you put up on your blinds or the wall. It's, it's when two couples go out and, and kiss. Courting. courting yes. <laughs> they were a courting and we were a devil chasing all on the same night. And so can you imagine it as we walk around to uh, expel the enemy and uh, with this red Bible and we come upon them. And then sometimes you would swear. And then you'd have to repent because you were so afraid. I hope none of this is being recorded. <laughs> By the way. So all I have to say is that sometimes it just gets weird and wacky. We get focused on the wacky stuff instead of wanting the lost, instead of our focus. And our focus in Dungannon is in does as it is in heaven. It's that kind of living, it's that kind of thinking. And then we want to ignore everything else. We don't want to think about anything else. We're not waiting for demons, at least in our services, to shout out and stuff to happen. And if things are not, if there's no demons shouting out, sometimes it does happen, but if there's no demons shouting out, then all's good. Don't go looking for it. Okay? Leave the people to their courting, if they wish to do that. So this is a bit of fun, but there's a lot of realism in that. But you're too sensible for all that nonsense. You're on the right track. So how do we do this warfare? Well Jesus came announcing the kingdom, didn't he? He said it would come, the kingdom was here, the kingdom was near, and he won the decisive victory over the enemy. We all know that. I'm sure we're all on the same page, preaching to the choir. But the full coming of his kingdom wouldn't be consummated until his return. And in between those times we're in this thing called the already and the not yet. We're living in this in between time of battle. And that's a tough place to be. There's conflict with enemies, there's there's always going to be that. Any church planters in the room, anybody planting churches for the first time, you'll experience this from day one. Conflict. You've just signed up to, to battle and you're engaged in serious business. We all are, whether we're church planting or whether we're parenting or whether we're plumbers or electricians or factory goers or McDonald's, burgers makers, we're on the conflict if we own the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We enter into that that business. But the business we enter into is not just to fight a war, our business is to usher in the kingdom of heaven, which includes pushing back the darkness. There's two different things to focus on here. Our business is primarily to usher in the kingdom of heaven. So the life of a disciple, or as the modern language would probably say an apprentice, somebody who is with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus is doing. If we're apprentices of Jesus, then this is the business that, that we're in. And this is the life that we've been, been called to. It's a serious business, but it's actually good businesses or good business. We're spiritual warfare actually waiting to happen. Did you know that? That's what happens when you're born again into the kingdom. are spiritual warfare waiting to happen. What do I mean by that? You're, you're you're in part you have all that you need you have the spirit of God who lives inside you the love of God already is shed abroad in your heart you have enough and so what your job is right away is to start to go and rescue the broken and the battered that's what spiritual warfare is and so right away when you say yes to Jesus you're ready to go you're waiting to happen you wouldn't go behind enemy lines. Jesus, you're part of the church. You're born again by the spirit of Christ. You're baptized into the church. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, baptized into one family. Then we're part of this family that is ushering in this kingdom. Rescuers. Hope bringers. Life givers. That is our focus. And it means that we go behind enemy territory. How do we do that? Binding den Satan heard a lot about that haven't we? Again there's a lot of stuff out there it's just deeply unhelpful I think. One is if you're if you're doing evangelism or church plants that you the first thing you do people tell you is uh, the first thing you do is you go into that city into that area if you are plant a church and you get rid of all the demons. Those territorial spirits. Anybody ever done that? Yeah me too. Four of us. It's a lot of hard work. A lot of draining of energy, but the problem is the people in the next city don't really like you. <laughs> Think about it. I have. Huh? So what we did is we took them out of Dungan and put them into Korean. <laughs> and then Korean put them back into Derry, and then Derry back into Tornstraband. And so they were being facetious. Do I believe in territorial spirits? Yes, I do. Yeah. Probably a good name. Is it helpful to understand their assignments in your community? Of course. The enemy is always up to things. Be aware. Don't focus. Be aware. For us, it's apathy. Tired of no dreams. Working class, young men with no ambition hoping someday that they'll get a benefit scheme that keeps them going and that's life panned out for them. At worst case scenario it's young boys from 14, 15, 16 years of age taking their lives. Tell me that's not enemy. It becomes a territorial thing because they're they're there but, but do we take them head on? No. Again our focus is not on the enemy. And I don't don't know about you, but I always want the magic bullet. Do you? I always want the quick fix. fix. I always wanted to just somebody to give me the magic sauce so things can happen and there's no pain and there's no left foot, right foot. But the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I understand that this life of faith, and particularly this life in the kingdom, ushering in this beautiful, all-compelling kingdom of Jesus Christ is more left foot, right foot, Then it is silver bullet. Then it is just that magic bullet. It's blood, it's sweat, it's tears, it's, it's tension. And that's because it's the already and the not yet. It's because we're in, in between. We're, we're, we're craving all creation is groaning and desiring that God's good future will come crashing into our now. And we're tasting it and we're called it in and that's the only call we're called to do is call in the future that's what we're called to focus in on that's what we're called to save and to create and to do our best thinking around is to usher in the good future of Jesus Christ into our present age that's what we're called to do so taking on territorial spirits it's not a biblical practice to do that prayer walk great how I many of you prayer walk around your your city Your prayer walking isn't to remove the devil, it's actually to invite Jesus into your community. That's a way smarter way to do things. Bring the presence of Jesus into the center of everything. That's what you do when you go on prayer walks. Those are great things. Pray over your community, pray over your city. How many of you do that? Then don't pray to the enemy. Pray for businesses to flourish, right? Pray for schools and education to thrive. Pray that your town would be the best town for your community. It would be a flourishing town, a thriving town with people who are better off. And here's what might sound a little arrogant. Better off because your presence is there. Because you carry his presence. Because you're ushering in the kingdom. Is this making sense? Does any of you think you've signed up for the wrong seminar? Kind of awkward to leave now, isn't it? I mean, when I came into the vineyard, the first text of scripture I had memorized right away was John 5, as he looks down at his notes. <laughs> 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 you didn't get that, did you? Memorized like that. Yeah. John five nineteen. What's our job? See what the Father's doing? Do it. Simple. Simple. And not unhelpful and unbiblical, but popular strategy it's to bind Satan. Bind Satan. You hear this a lot in intercessory prayer. Man, have we got intercessory prayer wrong? Intercessory prayer is just people who have a passion for kingdom and who are who are focused on it, who have given themselves, set themselves aside to focus and to to um, contend for the kingdom to come. Not to spend all their time talking to demons and enemy again. So intercessory prayer is not pushing back the enemy by speaking to the enemy. Intercessory prayer is contending that God's good future comes to, to where we are. And so again, we bring in Roy, the only Welsh man that couldn't sing. For the morning prayer meeting, he would bind anything. I bind you, Satan. And then one morning, this is a little Northern Ireland history for you. We have par or sorry, we did have. Well, we. That's, That's a big question. And so there, and there's a you know you can get mixed up in your alphabet and learn very quickly, but it's it's kind of dangerous to do so. So you've got these letters like U V F and U D A and I R A and all that. There, try and get them right, okay? It's very important. And so we also had a we also had a legal organisation who were part of the army part time and they were. Okay. And so it's the devil that kept them back from getting into this seminar on time. And so uh, there was this legal organization called the UDR. You can see where the mistake might happen. And so one morning, Roy, instead of binding the ARA, he bound the UDR. And that week, I kid you not, the UDR was disbanded. So there you go. <laughs> does come from scripture that we bind Satan. But it was never meant to be a, f- a formula. It was never a verbal rebuke. Do you get it? It was never meant to be a verbal rebuke. Well, Jesus did say the strong man must be bound it happens by the arrival of King Jesus and his kingdom. Oh, that's, all, that's my one message guys. It's the kingdom of heaven and it's, it's ushering it in. And it's powerful. And in Matthew sixteen nineteen and eighteen eighteen, if you're taking notes, Jesus speaks of unbelievers having authority to bind which affects both heaven and earth. And in eighteen nineteen, what he's talking about is profession, professing Christians, and church discipline. Not spiritual warfare. Two things are, are poles apart. And in verse twenty, this is done by how is it done? Well, the only verbal part of that text is actually by born-again Bible-believing. No, they're not Bible-believing. There was no Bible. So I'm exaggerating the conversation right now. In verse 20, it's done by agreeing in prayer to God. Christians, not Christians then, but followers of the way, agreeing in prayer to follow Jesus and sort out their stuff. That's what that's about. It's not having a conversation with Satan. When we pray, we talk to who? Father God. All the time lots of Christians I don't know maybe maybe I'm preaching to the choir this morning but there's so many Christians when it comes to spiritual warfare they want a conversation with the devil you know they're talking to the devil i tell you devil listen get your hands off my family this I don't think it's helpful as I read scripture now if a demon happens to manifest then we do speak to it that's biblical and we use the words of Christ we command it to go and leave and and uh, that's what happens. It's simple, not dramatic. It feels dramatic, but it's not. So, what did Jesus do? We bind Satan with actions, not words. This is what spiritual warfare is all about. It's about binding Satan with actions, not word words. This is the most important thing I want I want you to get from this conversation today. Is actually begin if you want to engage in spiritual warfare. I recommend it it's your duty, it's what we're called into, but it's done by ushering in the kingdom. It's a kingdom way of thinking, it's a, it's a kingdom way of living, it's, it's a tyrant to, to the values, even to the values of vineyard, of worship and intimacy, it's those things putting into practice, casting out demons, praying for the, the sick, feeding the poor, those are all actions, those are all spiritual warfare happening in your community and in your life. That's the way it goes. Romans twelve twenty one says it this way very clearly. Do not overcome uh, evil by evil, but with good. Isn't that what it says? You don't overcome evil by evil, but you overcome evil with good. It's an extremely significant verse that tells you how important your focus should be, where your focus should be, what you're about. Where's my focus going to be? Where is your focus? Where is your focus at the moment? Is it going to be on the evil, or is it going to be on the good? And we, we need to shift our thinking and our conversations, how we, we talk about our communities, how we talk about our our cities. You know, I meet too many followers of Jesus that just just speak negatively over the community. And I'm willing to have a conversation on spiritual warfare. I'm thinking, you're not helping. You're not helping. Go find the good. Go pray the good into your community. It's so easy, isn't it? I mean, I'm the worst. See, when it comes to politics and living in Northern Ireland, I said a lot. Sometimes I'm not kind in my words to when I see politicians, but my job is not to condemn or, or judge. My job is to call them the good. Pray for those who are in authority so that Christ would come and that the enemies, the poverty would leave our community and our town. We have a vision for Dungannon. It's kind of wild when I, our vision, one of our visions in Dunganon that that poverty would be totally eradicated. That is spiritual warfare. Are you up for that type of spiritual warfare? Huh? See, it was a lot easier for me to walk around woods with a red New Testament. And sit up to all hours drinking coffee and talking nonsense. Because there's no responsibility in that. There's no blood, sweat and tears. There's no left foot, right foot in any of that. Rosario Butterfield, is, um, she wrote a brilliant book on hospitality. It's called Radically Ordinary Hospitality. No, it's not. That's one of the, her significant phrases. The book is actually called The Gospel Comes with the Key of the House. Recommended to you. She said this, and it reminded me of Romans twelve twenty-one. She said, Christians see this world as a host of cosmic struggles against the powers of evil, and between the flesh and the spirit as a place that we are called to make beautiful through gospel grace. Isn't that brilliant? You and I, here's what spiritual warfare is. You and I are called to make beautiful through gospel grace. What a phrase. What a phrase. So what's spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare is the behind the scenes reality of what happens when we share the power of the resurrected Christ with our neighbours with our friends, with our politicians, with our family and community, leaders, people that we brush up against in gyms and pubs and clubs and sporting arenas. That's what gospel grace does. Spiritual warfare is that we share the power of resurrected Christ. That's powerful, isn't it? When you think about spiritual warfare, that is huge. It should tilt your head just a little bit. It gets into your soul and into your heart. That the resurrected Christ would be shared in our communities. How do we do that? Well, it looks different. One of the things that we're learning is spiritual warfare has a lot to do with hospitality. And hospitality has a lot to do with spiritual warfare. We talk a lot about identity in these last couple of days. One of the identities that's been destroyed and eroded in, in most communities throughout the United Kingdom and Ireland is the identity on family. The corrosion of family. And there's a powerful piece in the church that's been lost and that's just that radically ordinary hospitality. Did you know, I'm going off on one, can I go off on one? Like, do you know the original architecture of the church? Like, if you church, study church history at all, you'll see that church architecture has changed because architecture always shaped the theology, the belief system of the church. So you can see that throughout different denominations. So maybe for us, or, you know, a lot of a no, no, I'm waffling. Okay, let me just say this as I want to say it. The Anglican community, so it's it's long, goes up, altar. That was their theology. Everything was centered around the table, the communion, right? And then fast forward into our 21st century. There's lots in between. I don't have time to go on because I'm going off on a tangent and then I'll, you'll never get me back. But then the the, the architecture of, of even just the modern church, many churches like vineyard churches and different churches that are what we call new churches Their architecture is totally different we have stage right because we're projecting sound out uh, and scripture right and that reflects our theology but the, the architecture the furniture of the first church was simply table and room table and room everything centered around that and if you want to engage really in spiritual warfare I would say open up your home Share the power of resurrected Christ among family and neighbours and friends over a meal. You want to break down enemy territory and attack? Give somebody the key of the door and fight them in. I just pray for a moment. I just feel the spirit resting on that. Do you? it's lovely when he comes in the room and he just he just hovers and then it's just like ah oh, I'm finding rest on that and that's how the Holy Spirit works he loves to find a place to rest and it usually happens in our hearts and when our hearts resonate with kingdom he's just like ah, can I sit beside you Holy Spirit come come in your presence come in your power yeah Jesus I know it's unconventional to do ministry time right now. I just want to pray for you. your family's gone through um, an upheaval and you just know it's not it's just not the natural. It's just this is just not natural. It's just not normal. The enemy's just having a go at your family. Can I pray for you just really quickly? Just raise your hand. In fact, I'll not pray for you. Just say to the person, just put your hand on the shoulder, and pray for them, keep your hand up. Come, Holy Spirit. I'll continue, you can keep praying. Holy Spirit's still here. I'm not, he's not gonna leave. So we're at war. And our warfare is waged over men and women's lives. But we war just like Jesus did. Simply even now. This is this is a model of warfare. Praying and loving our brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. So how did he do it? We do exactly how he did it. We announce the good news to the poor. I've said that before. We preach the gospel. We see worship birthed in our new found land, in our new communities. And we, we, we challenge society when it's unjust and when there are systematic things that are evil. We live kingdom lives ourselves. We make disciples. We plant churches. We do all these things. Jesus told us in Matthew 12, 29, how can can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off its possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder the house. I want to say this, for all the hocus pocus around this text of scripture, it's very simple. Jesus has come and bound the strong man. And all we do is go in and plunder. That's all we do. There is a strong one, the enemy is a strong one. He is a creative being. He does have influence. It's part of the air. But there is a stronger one. His name is Jesus. And he has already bound the strong one. Hasn't he? I hope that lifts your heart. We're not done, by the way, just in case you get a bit excited. <laughs> that felt like we're landing, but we're not landing, okay? Not just yet. We do that, we carry on the ministry of Jesus. The enemy's tactics are often not how we find them. And we are coming to the lab. this is an important piece of all this and there's been a lot of conversation again around the last couple of days of, of, um, of identity. The enemy's tactics are not hard warfare. We often think they are. Sometimes they are. And sometimes our language portrays that when it's not happening in that way but it's soft warfare let me explain jesus has humiliated and made a public spectacle of the enemy do you believe that that's a fact right we're born again followers of jesus christ he's done that but the enemy's tactics now is his campaign is dirty warfare it's dirty warfare And I'll explain that. In the Gospel of John, like I said, the dominant theme in Jesus' teaching is around two things. This is his most in-depth teaching when we come to the subject of spiritual warfare. John chapter 8. Anybody want to have a guess what he's talking about? There's two things he's talking about. So, like the Marvel movie. Let me help you with it. Truth and... Very good. Truth and lies. Truth Truth versus lies. Who would have thought it? It's a bit of a stretch for us in our culture, isn't it? I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, in John chapter 8, it's his most in-depth teaching about the enemy, about this real intelligent creature who has influence over the world, this is, this is where he really talks about him. lying. And it's lying, this, this line, he says he's the father of lies, he's been a liar right from the very beginning and he is the father of all lies, he's the, the originator of lies, and the enemy wants to steal. But he wants to steal one thing from you. Especially if you're a church planter or, or someone who wants to engage in ushering in this kingdom. If you want to play religion, that's okay. He's happy with that. You know, if you want to dance around and play religion all day long and, and go after enemy stuff and, and talk about the enemy, he, you're, you're good to go. He's happy. But his primary thing that he wants to steal from the church and from, from, from families and communities, and from our generation, and we've talked about it, and it sounds like I'm stating somebody's talk, but I had this down before. It's all bit insecurity up here. Is identity. It's keeping you blindsided to your primary focus, that is your identity and your calling in Christ. And our, our, our thing is that we, we are sharing the kingdom, like I said before, but it's some deception. So what we're going to do, just to finish off, I'm going to go through the first three chapters of Genesis. (laughs) I'm serious. So Genesis is a book of of two parts, right? So it's chapter 1 to 11, it's the world. The second part of it, from 12 to 50, it's basically about one man and his family. That one man's called Abram, or Abraham, and his family. And then the book begins by God ta- taking the disorder and the darkness and bringing out of it order. The beautiful story. And so the beauty comes and he makes the world flourish. That's what God does. And that's our job too. Where it causes this land, this earth to flourish. And then he makes humans called Ha-Adam, ha- which is a Hebrew word. And God makes them in his image to reflect Him. We talked about that this morning. To rule and to reign. They're appointed as God's representatives on earth, right? So you know what cracks me up? When the church talks about it, it's not about doing, it's just about being, you know, human beings. You're not just want to throw up at that moment. It's like, have you read the book of Genesis? Of course it's about being, but it's all about doing too, right? When you know your identity, your security, the rule and the reign to bring flourishing. Okay, sidetrack. Hope I haven't offended so he, they reflect God, they rule and they're, they're appointed as God's representatives on earth and that's their calling. And from this calling they're to care for the world and they have this freedom, they have this, this possibility to harness the potential so that life can be more and life can flourish. That's what we're called to. Isn't this a beautiful gospel? It's worth laying your life down for. God blesses and this is the key word in this book. And he gives them a place called the garden, and this is the place where they start to bring life and to establish a new world. The freedom to choose now; they start to build this new this new world. And the tree in the garden represents represents this choice and this dignity and this newness and this thriving life. Up until now, God's provided for them. All right, he's he's helped them. He's provided the the, the land, the, the shrubs, the water the fruit he's given them everything and then he says okay now over to you you get to produce from what i produced we produce out of something he produces out of nothing he's god but he gives us this choice to produce out of something and so now he gives them dignity so they can choose and god's definition or is that they would choose life and there's consequences to this dignity and to this this choice this definition of choice it's huge because they turn away from the giver of life and when you turn away from the giver of life this is not rocket science when you turn away from the giver of life guess what gets produced death okay chapter three we're going fast two chapters are you happy you're way happier now you weren't smiling a minute ago chapter three now he enters a new character in the story he's called the snake i call him the cat freedom for creativity He, uh, we don't know much about this guy. He's not really introduced to the, to the story, his character. God creates him. We know that. And pretty soon it comes very clear, clear that he's a rebellious creature. And what he wants to do is against God, the task and his focus to lead humanity into rebellion and death. Do you see there's a thing, a thing in this? There is am not just going out there. Spiritual warfare conference. No seminar. But if we call it conference, I'm happy with that. So the snake tells a different story about the tree and the choices. And the story goes like this. The tree won't bring death, but actually the path to life. And becoming like God themselves. Now the irony, listen to this, this is important. The irony is tragic because we know that the humans are already like God. Well you can't say that Jason. Yes they are. They are created in the likeness of God. So it's just, it's, it's just ironic, isn't it? He's saying, the enemy's saying that you can become like God if you this And God has already given them their identity and their calling. Are you with me? Identity and calling. That's what the enemy wants to play warfare on. He always has and he always will. And so he does that. And we know from this that the whole thing spirals out of control. First casualty is human relationships, they're not vulnerable, right? They don't trust each other. Second casualty is intimacy between God and man. They're hiding, they're naked, and God comes and he finds them. story of salvation. They're lost, they hide, God comes, he looks, he finds them, and then they start blaming each other. Stretching our imagination again. Come with me. My point is this, that God defines your identity and the devil tactic or tactic is to get you to forfeit your identity and your calling that's always been the game plan when it comes to spiritual warfare this is the biggie this is his one and only thing if he can get you to forfeit your identity in your calling if you can hand your identity and your calling back then you sell for best the status quo. You're okay with what's happening in your community. You're happy enough what happens in your land. Suicide rate really doesn't register your platform. If we're happy with that then we're okay with poverty. We're not going to go after eradicating poverty because we're just going to settle for the status quo. Once we hand our identity over, once we hand our calling over, we give up and that's the status quo. But at worst it's chaos and I would say the majority of time when we hand our identity and our calling over it's chaos the enemy has license to rampage your community and so what happens is if you line up with the lie of the enemy if you line up with the I, lie of the enemy sorry, you forfeit yours and all his future that's what you do there's always a connection to this no wonder the enemy wants to take you out no wonder he wants you to get confused. No wonder he wants to get a, a foothold in your life. He wants to rob you of this certain thing, and this, this very thing, sorry, of purpose and significance. Here's good advice. Don't agree with the enemy. Don't agree with the enemy. When you do, you just empower him. You empower him. The enemy has no power over you. devil's words have no power over your life strong one has come am I saying that the enemy has no power on earth? yeah I've seen I've seen people rid with cancer lung disease young suicides abortion poverty that's his work of course that's his work but in your actual life he can't come and take your identity, he can't destroy your calling He can't just take power over your life, over your destiny, over what God has called you to do to usher in the kingdom of God. He has no power to do that. The only way that he can do that, listen, 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 listen. The only way that he can do that is when you line yourself up with the lie of the enemy. And give away your identity and your calling. That, my friends, is where the real warfare happens. And that conflict will go on until the day you draw your last breath. Right? On an ongoing basis. So we need to change the way that we think. Right? Don't agree with the enemy. Don't agree with the whispers that he puts into your mind and into your ear. When you do that, you simply empower him. You simply empower him. So what do you do? You don't want to make agreement at all with them. Back to the garden. Eve's ongoing conversation with Satan. It's then when she says this, let me read it to you. The woman was convinced. Genesis 3.6. The fruit looked so fresh and delicious that it would make her so wise. I've got a question for you just as we close. And I want you to be really honest. Does this sound dramatic? soft warfare let me answer answer for you it's not dramatic it's not dramatic she hasn't come and whispered to announce God kill your husband nothing like that is, does this sound dramatic or am I am, am I trying to toy with the text let me read it again to you this is what he comes he comes and the conversation goes on he says He he says that the woman was convinced. After the conversation, the all conversation was said she was convinced the fruit looked good, so fresh and delicious. So it's not dramatic. But I guarantee you that it's happened to every single one of us in this room at some point. It's happened to every single one of us in this room. Any one of us, or every one of us, Have made unknown agreements with the enemy. No, I haven't, Jason. Yes, you have. Some of you have believed a lie that you're You're not cut out for this. You're not cut out for Minister. You seriously? You're qualified for it? Don't think so. Line yourself up with the enemy. Status quo, chaos. Some of you have grown up with no education. Called stupid. I was told by a careers teacher that I had two options in life. Join the army or a YTP scheme. Do you know what a YTP scheme is? The government, government initiative to get young people off the streets. That was my career path in life. Had I chosen to line myself up with that, I'm not saying the teacher was a devil, but (laughs) for any teachers out there. So easy, it's not dramatic, it's soft warfare. It's dirty warfare. The way that he wants to control our lives and take our communities and our cities down is not the dramatic. And it's not the hard warfare, but it's taking followers of Christ's identity and calling so that they would settle for a status quo and chaos. Would you stand?